Hey y'all, my name is LMC. If you guys are new to the channel, then hit that subscribe button down below, hit the notification bell. Okay, so we're going over, this is the first time I'm doing this format. Um, I'm gonna be doing kind of a longer news episode and we're gonna go through anywhere from like four to eight different news uh, articles every single, uh, we're gonna try to do this every single day, maybe a few times a week, actually more like, but we'll still, we're still figuring it out. But uh, then we'll be splitting up clips as well of each news source you can uh you can choose if you want to watch the full episode which is this or you can watch the clips but let's jump right into it i hope everyone's having a great day today by the way um okay so first on the list what do we have what do we have okay so this is in uh and by the way, when I say flower, I mean the plant. I just don't want to get demonetized here. But just so people know. Um, okay, so let's go over what we have for the first story. So this is published four days ago. This is on January 27, 2021. It's by Kyle Yeager in uh, The Moment. Um, but the title of this article is Areas with uh, more flower dispensaries have fewer uh, opioid deaths, new study finds. Okay, let's go into this. Let's break it down a little bit. Okay, so increasing access to flower dispensaries is associated with a significant reduction in uh, opioid-related deaths, according to a new study. Quote, higher medical and recreational storefront uh, dispensary counts are associated with reduced opioid-related death rates, particularly deaths associated with synthetic opioids, such as uh, the bad F1. Uh, the paper published on Wednesday in the British Medical Association Journal's BMG concluded, it's a finding that holds both medical and recreational dispensaries, the study says. Researchers looked at opioid mortality and cannabis dispensaries prevalence in 23 U.S. states from 2014 to 2018 and found that overall counties where the number of legal flower shops increased from one to two experienced a 17% reduction in related fatalities. Increasing the dispensary count from two to three was linked to an additional 8.5% decrease in deaths. Quote, if consumers use flour and opioids for pain management, increasing the supply for legal, uh, legal flour might have implications for fentanyl demand and opioid-related mortality rates overall. Okay, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. So I had a friend, I, one of my best friends, um, he's actually having a surgery um, pretty soon here in the next few days. Uh, and he came to me and he was like, uh, you know, Luke, um, you know, do you have any, you know, R, you know, RSO or do you have any, um, you know, something that can help with after my surgery, help with the pain? Because, you know, he's like, I'm probably going to take, you know, I'm going to take my opioids for a couple of days and then get rid of them and then transition over to, um, you know, uh, flour and or some sort of, uh, you know, concentrate of that that would help deal with the pain. I think that's actually... This is, and, and, and I don't want to, you know, I, I think that, you know, opioids are terrible. They're bad. They're not good. But I think that we can start to see there's, you know, they're not good. They're not good, but they're not also, they shouldn't be demonized necessarily because these are, these are, these are, these are drugs that are used to help 
in the right cases. If it's for the right thing and it's used appropriately, they're really beneficial. Okay. But I think that there's a lot of power with potentially showcasing how, you know, maybe when the pain's really, really bad, you take a little bit of it and then, and then you then decrease off of it and you transition into a flower product. I think that would be potentially a really, really powerful mixture, um, a really, really powerful uh, combination or better than better yet, just get rid of opioids in general. But I think that's very, un, you know, that's not super realistic in, in, in the grand scheme of things, especially when it's something really, really, you know, painful, right? Anyway, though, this is just more proof, guys. This is one way to help, you know, stop the opioid, the opioid um, epidemic, right? Help stop that, that that stuff because we're seeing that with this study. The more dispensaries around, the fewer the opioid deaths. Very cool stuff, though. I'm glad to see this. This is this is great stuff to see. Um, okay, let's go on to our next story. Okay, so pretty crazy stuff here. This is in uh, BBC News Amsterdam. Title is Amsterdam Drugs. Tourists face ban from flower cafes. This is by Anna Hologram. This is one day ago. Okay, so obviously the famed, uh, you know, these famous coffee shops, right, where, you know, you could get you know, flour, you could get, you know, mushrooms, you can get all types of stuff. Looks like they're banning tourists. Let's go, let's see what they, what exactly this is. Okay, so when international visitors are eventually able to return to the canals that crisscross the medieval streets of Amsterdam, they might find one of the Dutch capital's famous tourist attractions off limits. Amsterdam Mayor Femke Halsemer, sorry, I probably butchered that name, wants to ban foreign tourists from cannabis cafes, uh, flower cafes, damn it, <laughs> to tackle antisocial behavior and push the city up market. Owners of Amsterdam's fabled coffee shops are pushing back. They have told the BBC that if tourists are banned from regulated establishments, they will be pushed into the hands of ruthless gangsters on the streets. Uh, they let go all discipline. Amsterdam is famous for an array of things, including its thriving nightlife, red light district, and, and flower cafes and bars, attracting 20 million tourists per year. That's a whole lot of tourism. And this is the mayor right here. This is her with uh, with the police. So like the rest of the Netherlands, the capital is currently in lockdown. Some of its 850,000 residents would prefer its post-pandemic uh, life to resemble its current state rather than return to what it was. Bernadette DeWitt wants to get rid of what she calls low-value tourists, including young British women dressed up as pink penis <laughs> let's go <laughs> that's funny okay so you know let's go over this so really you know the sense that i get from this is you know they are looking at you know hey what why you know we have now experienced a life without these tourists being around Life's not that bad without them. So maybe we want to bar them from this. Um, do I think it's right? Mm, I don't really know. I don't really know if that's my, if I can even really, you know, I think it's, I think they should allow for it. But 
at the same time, I don't live there. I don't deal with that stuff. So, you know, I don't have to deal with the constant amount of, you know, the millions of different uh, tourists that come around constantly. And, and, you know, so I don't have to deal with that. So it's kind of hard for me to even really comment on whether I think it's right or not. Um, I think it's sad regardless, because I mean, this is something that is part of the rich culture of Amsterdam, but, um, or at least from a international standpoint, but I do think that, you know, uh, the locals there, you know, they, they should be, you know, I mean, this is the whole idea of having, you know, state governments, local governments, like the people that are going to know the best for what they want are the people living in that area. Right. Um, you know, that's why, you know, having local, um, you know, your local, like, you know, a lot of people say your local elections are the things that'll get, you know, if you want to make the most difference in your life, the best way to do that is affect local elections. And, you know, it is very true. You know, if you want to be able to decide what's going on and because you're on the ground, you're the one dealing with it, you know, uh, you probably have a better idea of what what's the right thing to do. Anyway, though, sad stuff that we'll have to see how it turns out. Um you know, potentially they may not be allowing for it to happen, but it is the lifeblood of the of tourism. And so the mayor has a plan. Let's go over the plan really quick, actually. So most of the Netherlands, uh, so most of the Netherlands already requires visitors to coffee shops to show proof of res- residence, but the rule is not enforced in the capital. So. There's only eight coffee shops left. The council only already closed a third of the coffee shops. We were there only eight coffee shops left in the same zip code, 500 places that serve alcohol. Okay, so taking the tourists out of the coffee shops may be easier to enforce than tackling cheap flights and accommodation, but it is not a way to improve Amsterdam for the locals, he believes. Yeah, so crazy stuff. Um, so will the street dealers come out? Yeah, maybe the street dealers will. You know, maybe that 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 will be a thing because you know, this is what happens. And this is my one thing that I you know I don't want to I don't want to necessarily say that. You know, uh, while yes, the locals should decide what they want for themselves. I do think that this will, and this is just basic economics. This will lead to a rise in street dealers, and an unregulated market. Okay that unregulated market can have negative consequences, right? There's all the things that come with it, with criminal activity, right? With criminal activity. So we'll have to see, uh, guys, go check out this uh, article if you'd like. It's in the bbc.com. Um, you have more in- information there. But uh, pretty interesting stuff, pretty interesting stuff. Okay, let's move on to the next article. Let's do it. Okay, so this is by TJ Brandfall in The Preneur. Shout out to The Preneur. Uh, great, uh, great, uh, great resource for any sort of entrepreneurs in this industry. So this was January 14th. It was about a couple of weeks ago, but I, and I saw this a couple of while, but I want to go over it in this one. So this is what we know about Biden's cabinet on flour. So let's go over what TJ writes and we'll talk more about this. So after more than a year of campaigning, we can pretty much sure where we, we can be pretty sure where president elect Joe Biden and vice president elect Kamala Harris stand on the flower issue. But what about the other members of the incoming Biden administration? So this is a big thing, right? Where, uh, you know, 
that's why the cabinet is so important to understand and so important to, uh, you know, be, be wary of and be aware of because, you know, these are the people that are going to be implementing the will of Joe Biden and Kamal Harris, right? This is the people that are going to be doing that. So, you know, very important to understand who they are and what potentially what, where their stance on flower is on flower legalization. Okay, so let's go over the attorney general. And I've I had a video that went over this, but over specifically this because it's a very important position when it when it refers to uh, the flower uh, position. But let's go over. So attorney general nominee Merrick Garland is likely the, the cabinet pick, and he was officially confirmed, by the way, because this is a little bit older of a uh, article. But Let's go over what TJ writes. So is likely to the cabinet pick that would have the most outsized role on driving the administration's policy on can uh, on flower and flower law enforcement. Garland, who has served as a circuit judge for the Court of Appeals District of Columbia Circuit since 1987, has never made a public comment on the broad legalization, leaving us to rely on one case to gauge how he approached the issue. Okay, so in 2012 case, Americans for Safe Access versus Drug uh, Enforcement Administration, which examined whether the DEA had meaningful considered the potential use for cannabis uh, for flower as a medical therapy. Garland joined the majority opinion, which sided with the DEA. And I went over this in the other video. And this was not super. And go check, guys, go check out that other video if you want more details on this. We're not going to we're going to stay too long on this, but there was a time where he said, "Let the DEA decide." And that, to me personally, I don't like that. That's not good. That's not good for anyone. Um, the DEA is one of the worst, you know, uh, agencies to to have any sort of uh, meaningfully uh, objective uh, analysis on this issue because all of the incentive structures are, you know, put in place so that they want to keep this, you know, illegal, right? They want to make this continue because that's what adds. That's what continues to add to their budget. The more substances that are illegal, the more budget they have. And so the incentive structures are really just not, there's definitely a conflict of interest here. Okay. And I just don't think that that's great, but Garland, I don't think was super, I don't think he's, I don't think he's super, you know, one way or the other. I don't think he's like, I'm super anti-flower or I'm super pro-flower. I think that, you know, he kind of is somebody on this issue that will go with the tide kind of, you know, so that's my opinion on, on that specific, but let, let's go over to the next one. Okay, so Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Okay, Janet Yellen is a very, very interesting character. She is the former uh, uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve, uh, a pretty much monopoly on money in America, which is, you know, we, <laughs> we, could, go, we could go on about how the Federal Reserve in itself is pretty wild of an, an organization and how that, you know, pretty much is not a very, uh, in my opinion, a very good <laughs> uh, organization, but let's, let's, let's not, cause I'm going to, I'm going to get sucked into that and then it would screw up the whole video, but let's go. So Streckel explain, um, so Janet yelling, so would set the dynamics of safe Harbor for flower businesses as it relates to the industry's financial rules and to what scope they are allowed to handle money. So TJ writes, uh, Yellen has also made no overt public statements related to flower reforms. However, she was the chair of the Federal Reserve for, from 2014 to 2018, during which the agency denied Denver's Colorado's Fourth Corner Credit Union, a nonprofit cooperative formed by a state licensed flower business, its application for a master account. 
And Alt-M reported at the time of the decision that the decision forced the state's flower operators to continue doing business on a cash-only basis. So the Treasury Secretary, right, I mean, in a lot of ways, they're going to be play a big, big role in potentially figuring out the banking and, and, and for these flower businesses. Um, so the Federal Reserve, though, is, you know, that's a whole different, that's a private entity, technically. It's not controlled. I mean, it's controlled by the government, but it's not a government entity like I said we go there's a whole other video we could do on this <laughs> let's keep going though really if I had to sum up what I have to think for for, for Janet Yelling um you know I, I you know she you know probably you know like, like the sense that we get she's made no real uh you know the, all of these a lot of these people that we're going to go through they all don't really have a super uh they haven't really come out against it or for it really for the most part for most of them there might be a couple that we'll we'll see here that are not the best for it but uh that are not the most pro flower but let's keep going though let's go over so secretary of labor so streckle streckle by the way i believe is a firm that is doing an analysis it's a boston-based firm that i believe does analysis analyses on um different flower uh, situ or issues going on in, in politically um, and economically, I believe. Could be wrong on that, but let's go. Okay, so Streckel had a mixed opinion on, because yeah, so they, what Streckel is, it's, it's a, I think it's a Boston-based uh, 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 institute that does, anal does an analysis on the economics and politics and how it will affect via, for the flower industry. Okay, so Secretary of Labor. So Streckel had a mixed opinion on Boston, Massachusetts Mayor Marty Walsh, who is tabbed to lead the Labor Department. On one hand, Streckel said Walsh did oppose the 2016 ballot initiative to legalize flour in the state, but Streckel admitted he is much better on flour than four years ago. So if he made that comment, that's actually great to hear. You know, that, that you know, we could be... You know, that could be a little bit disheartening, but uh, that he was against the 2016 ballots initiative for Massachusetts. But, you know, he does, he did, he did actively make a comment saying, hey, actually, I'm got a lot better on that issue now. I, I'm not that actually against it. I think that, you know, the more people that can get educated on this, the more they're going to, you know, be like, uh, I don't really know why I'm that against this. This is kind of stupid for me to be against. Okay. So, the mayor is very pro-union, Streckel explained, adding that the broad unionization would add legitimacy to the industry and help buy in from the local communities. And I love this point. I love this point. This is very true. The more uh, unions that we can implement into this new flower industry, the more legitimacy it will get, the more seriousness it will get. Because when you build coalitions of people, when you unify people, there's power in that. There is big power in that. Let's, you know, if you look at, you know, when it when, and, and, and power and one of the ways that that power is showcased is these political, uh, um, you know, these politicians that are running, they're going to want to go to the, you know, let's say the flower union, right? The flower union, they're going to go there and be like, hey, we want your, you know, hey, I want your, uh, I want your guys' uh, uh, endorsement. How do I get that? Right there. That is how you can gain power. And so that adds legitimacy and, you know, an air of professionalism, I think. I think that's a great point. Um, so yeah, but let's, let's, let's go. So um, so he's very pro-union and that's great. So 
Also, so TJ writes too, when it goes, so it should be noted that in 2019 interview with 1.37 p.m., Walsh said his opinions on Flower have not changed. Okay, let's look at what he writes. I think this is what it is, what he says. So, quote, I will say, though, that the legalization has reaffirmed my commitment to making sure that we're taking proactive steps to create a strong regulatory process that also brings uh, brings much-needed equity to this new uh, industry. Cities in other states with recreational flower have run into serious equity pro- problems, both in who is he in, in both in who is profiting from the sales and where the stores are located. Okay, so, you know, if I had to make an overall analysis of this, I think he's kind of just like a lot of these other people. He's kind of going to go with the tie of the wind. I think he cares about certain issues that have involvement with the flower legalization issue, you know, like equity, like he noted, and, you know, and unions, right? So those are those are good things. I just don't think on the core issue that they're really that uh, they don't have, like, I don't think any of these people have an ideological opposition to flower legalization okay let's go over so we got two more that they list in this so the agricultural secretary so following vilsack's nomination to lead the agriculture department jonathan miller the general counsel to the u.s uh roundtable described the former iowa governor as a longtime champion of of flower in an interview with the Flower. So the USDA under Vilsack recognized the market research on the 2014 farm bill included product sales and facilitated the initial growth of the program, setting the table for the 2018 farm bill. And what the 2018 farm bill did, guys, is it legalized the sale of, I hope this doesn't get me demonetized, but hemp. It, it, it gets from hemp. Uh, hopefully that doesn't demonetize me. Probably will, though. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I'm going to, I want to wrap this up. So we're going to get to the next piece, but looks like the 2018 farm bill, you know, I mean, if he's part of the 2018 farm bill, looks like he's very pro hemp, you know, I think that that's good to see. So, you know, it looks like the, like Vilsack is pretty for hemp. Um, and I think that's a good overall understanding of, he's probably not going to be super, He's not going to be an opposite. He's not going to be a barrier in the way for flower legalization, if not more so an advocate. Um, you know, he's much more, uh, you know, closer to the flower side of, I mean, the hemp side of things rather than the flower side of things, but we'll have to see. Okay. So let's go on to the, the last one. So. Okay, so Biden's pro-flower nominees cover commerce, interior, and HHS. So Rhode Island Governor Gina Raimondo, she is four, and so she's nominated to lead the Commerce Department. And and Gina Raimondo, we've talked about before, she is the former governor. She's the governor of Rhode Island. There's been some interesting ties with potentially her husband and McKinsey and the industry, which is, that's for another video. But... um, what I do, what I will, what I will say is that, uh, you know, she is pro flower legalization. She is an advocate for state-run stores, which I am definitely not, and I I disagree with. I don't think that's a good idea, but um, I do think that, uh, regardless, having a pro flower individual for commerce for the in the commerce department is is positive. Okay. Um, 
Yeah. So, you know, overall guys, I think, you know, we're going to do, we'll do another video in the, in the next coming, like few, the next few months, kind of doing a more broader um, analysis of, of what, uh, of what Biden, Biden's cabinet has done. Like, you know, cause we, this is kind of a pre analysis of, you know, what they've done in the past, but like, you know, six months into about a year, we'll probably do, you know, like a few months from now, we'll probably do, we'll probably do some individual pieces on these individuals in the cabinet. And, um, you know, we'll, 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 we'll analyze exactly what they did, uh, up, you know, during, you know, for the first year or two. So we'll be keeping an eye on this and, uh, we'll keep an eye on these individuals, making sure that, uh, you know, you get a good understanding of what, each individual and this overall cabinet is where they stand on legalization of flour. Okay, let's go on to the last story of today. And we might do another story later in the individual piece, but let's go over this. I found this super interesting. So this came out of Dago. This is by Andrew Ward in Bazinga. So title is, is January 30th, 2021. Title is cancel flour? Question mark. Several lawmakers in recently passed dates sure are trying to. Okay, so Andrew writes, four of the five states to pass flower-centric ballot initiatives on Election Day 2020 have since run into hurdles. The pathway from ballot questions to implementation has only sought to smooth for one of the five states to pass measures. Recently, Arizona adult use sales began on January 22nd, with many of the medical dispensaries expanding to adult use to accommodate, to accommodate the newly open market. And I will say, Arizona, by the way, they legalized so quickly. They must have broke. I think they might have broken the record for the quickest to market. Um, but let's go over. Look at. Let's go over all of the crap that's going on here. So in South Dakota, we've talked about this. South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem issued on January an executive order showing that she ordered a lawsuit to overturn the the adult use portion of its results. Gross. Adult use, which passed by a 54.2% to 45.8% margin, was voted into law simultaneously as citizens approved of a medical market and a governor is, and the governor and that the governor is not opposing. But the governor is is joining by law joined by law enforcement officers in the lawsuit. And we will have to, you know, I need to check up on this. This might be the other segment that I'll do today. Is I heard, you know, one of the viewers, one of one of you guys commented and said, you know, hey, um, uh, you know, I think they're having the court proceedings. This is a couple days ago, too. So I'll check up on that. Let's go to the next state, though. Let's look at Montana. Montana, Montana lawmakers, Andrew, Andrew Ward writes, Montana lawmakers are opposing the results of its election. However, the rejected request from the Department of Revenue to fund the program, despite the opposition of, uh, despite opposition, Homebureau and possession laws did take effect on New Year's Day in the week since. Amendments were filed to address taxes, their allocation, and product advertising. There didn't appear to be much concern from sources in the state who indicated that implementation is still underway. Chris Lindsay, a Montana citizen and director of government relations for the Flower Policy Project, says the funding rejection was disappointing. Still, the legislative session remains underway. Quote, we expect that the governor and the legislator will ultimately make the right decision and uphold the will of the people, Lindsay says. Okay, let's go on to the next state, Mississippi. So Mississippi, they passed uh, medical flower legalization, right? So Mississippi's bill is contested by Mary Hawkins, mayor of the city of, of the city Madison. The mayor argues that the initiative process was out of date because rules weren't updated after Mississippi shrank from five to four congressional districts. 
Hawkins, who filed her claim days before the election, has since been joined by the American Medical Association and Mississippi State Medical Association in contesting the rulings. The groups cite risk to physicians and public health as their concern. Oh, well, we'll have to see how that turns out. Stupid. Okay, um, so New Jersey. So in New Jersey, we went over this before. We'll go over what Andrew writes, though. So and Andrew writes, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy is refusing to sign legalization or decriminalization bills in their current states. His objection has been largely over the removal of language regarding underage possession. Okay, and I, and I, I need to amend my position on this. So we talked about this in another video. So what this specifically is for people that aren't aware is Phil Murphy, the governor, is saying, because they have, they have, there's, there is a, uh, um, there, there's part of this, of this, of this bill that says that people underage will have to pay a fine and they'll have to do some community service. And people are arguing against that because they're saying, oh, it's just reinforcing, you know, and this is people underage, right? Anybody over, you know, if you're 18, you have a certain penalty. If you're, if you're, if you're under 18, you have a certain penalty. And if you're from like, if you're 18 to 21 or to 2020, right. 18 to 20, then you have a little bit of a higher penalty. And then if you're 21, then it's legal and you're fine to do it. Now I was saying that they shouldn't do that, but I think that, you know, they just need to treat it the same way as alcohol. They just need to treat it the same way as alcohol. I, I want to change my position on that. They need to, you know, change it. And, you know, I think that that uh, just treat it like alcohol, you know, People get MIPs, people get, you know, I'm not, you know, for that or anything, but like, you know, there needs to be some sort of, we need to limit the amount of access and doing it to underage folks. And, and the best way to do that is to legalize, but also there needs to be maybe a potentially a little bit of, uh, of, you know, a, um, you know, a consequence, you know, in a sense that, that deters from underage folks using but we will have to see how, you know, so that's the crux of this whole, this whole thing going on in New Jersey. So Murphy has until February 8th to pass the bill per New Jersey's legislative calendar. Okay. So, you know, while those, while this could be a little bit discerning, right. For some folks, don't worry. I think that we're going to see a lot of legalization this year, the next four to five years, guys, the next four to five years, we're going to see a mass amount of legalization all over the country, all over the world. Okay. All over the world. And, you know, while there is some negatives to, you know, the, the, there's no matter what, even though we're going to see a mass amount of legalization, we're going to see a lot of pushback from folks and that's okay. That's what's going to happen. Um, but we just need to stay together. We need to, you know, unify and we need to, you know, create this infrastructure that can help support these movements, right? And media is one of those. And that's, I'm trying to be a small part of that. Um, anyways, guys, really, really appreciate y'all. This was the first time I went to this format. I, I'm seriously, I hope you guys like it. I hope it's, you know, for, I know there's some folks that, you know, wanted this, this kind of format. And I, I hope that this was interesting, you know, this was a, this, you, you guys liked it. I know I, I know I did personally, I actually like it. I kind of, you know, this, I don't know how long this video is going to be might be in the 30 minute range, but maybe more who knows, but uh, regardless though, really, 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 really appreciate you all for watching, for supporting. If you guys could please hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, turn on the notification bell, turn it on to all. I'm going to be clipping these today. And so you'll be able to choose if you want to watch these full format, the full, the, if you want to watch the full format, or do you want to watch the clipped up format? 
Um, so, you know, more choice to you guys. That's what I want to do. I want to, you know, continue to be, uh, you know, increasing the quality and you know, listening to you guys and, and, and taking that feedback and then internalizing that and, and making, you know, creating that, that content and that creating those formats. Anyways, guys, please guys go check out my social medias, go follow me on all the social medias, go follow me on like all the links will be down below. Go check out the other YouTube channels. Really, really appreciate y'all guys. Today is Sunday, January 31st, 2021. Um, and yeah, let me know you guys. I would love your guys' feedback. If you guys would give me your feedback, if you watched all the way to the end, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. I would love your feedback though. This would really help me to, maybe I don't continue doing this. Maybe I do. I think I will. I do think this is pretty efficient. So regardless though, can't tell you guys how appreciative I am of you guys. Hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. And I hope you'll have an amazing, amazing day. Peace.